My guest today is political newcomer and Colorado Springs native Andrew Dalby. Andrew is a business owner and was formerly an information technology consultant. I'm always intrigued by candidates who are running for the first time, and I'm looking forward to speaking with Andrew about what motivated him to run and where he stands on the major issues facing our community. For more information about Andrew, you can visit his campaign website at dalbyformayor.com. That's dalby, the number four, mayor.com. Andrew, thanks for being here today. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm interested in our conversation today because you are a political newcomer. This is, I think this is the first time you've run for office? This is the first time I've run for office. Yeah, I've been involved as a delegate to the assemblies as a, as a Republican, but this is the first time I've thrown my hat in the ring. So, That's absolutely. great. Oh, that's really good. What made you decide to run? Well, so first off, uh, <laughs> I think like a lot of people, I, I'm a little disgusted with uh, the fact that there's just a small group of people that uh, they hit term limits and they think that's a time to that's a signal to move over an office instead of go home I think we uh, we instituted term limits in order to say um, you know public service is great go do your time but then uh, go back and live under the same rules that you uh, expect the rest of us to live under so there's a certain degree of that but then another thing that happened is there's a um, that's enough to you know kind of motivate me in voting and, and other things, but to actually throw my hat in the ring, um, there's a little vignette I, I like to share. Is um, I own some property up at Powers in Dublin, and my next door neighbor is a church, and that church driveway um, was uh, when they widened Dublin, they they shortened the driveway, and they were going to just drop the the driveway at a 10% slope into 40 mile an hour cross traffic, and um, as a neighboring landowner, I had some. You know, I had and I was involved in that process, and I said, you know, you can't do that. It snows here. Uh, I've tried stopping on a ten percent <laughs> slope in this in a, on, when it's icy, and you just can't do it. And so people are going to die if you do this, and it's not even legal. It's against the code. And um, you know, the city engineer said, well, they don't, we don't care. We're the city. We can do whatever we want. And so I spent tens of thousands of dollars, about fifty thousand dollars, on engineers and attorneys trying to get the city just to obey the law, um, and was getting nowhere. But then uh, John Southers was hosting a fundraising dinner, and so I said, well, okay, I can, I can go there. I can, I can drop another $1,000 in this and, and go to a fundraiser. <laughs> so I went, and I got, I got John's ear. And, um, you know, to John's credit, once he became aware of the situation, it got resolved relatively quickly. But it just it shouldn't be that, point, that way. You shouldn't have to have money to have a voice, and you shouldn't have to give a donation in order to get justice. And that, uh, that just bothered me. Um, so I thought, well... Uh, so I, I'm a Christian. I was praying about it. When you're when you're fighting against City Hall, they spent a lot of time on my knees, and uh, you know I said, well, shoot. I guess I have some of the resources that not everybody has, and so um, when you have abilities and you don't do anything with them, then you're partially to blame for when bad things happen. So, okay. Well, that's kind of the that was the impetus to get into the race. Well, that's that's a fairly common occurrence for people the first time they run. They've engaged with the city or the government entity at some point in time through again some kind almost like a controversial issue of some kind sure. and they're like, "Hey, I can do better than this." Yeah. So, that's uh that's a pretty common occurrence. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your background and why you think voters should support you. Well, like I said, I'm not a political careerist. I have no intention of running for re-election. Um, and so I'm going to do my four years and go home. Uh, but I have, again, I do have some experience and some expertise that I think 
um, would be uh, useful to the city. So uh, as we were saying before we got on the air here, I have a, my undergraduate degrees in biochemistry, so I'm a scientist. My master's is in computer information systems, so I'm a systems engineer. I spent uh, a decade running a team of consultants. Some of our clients were the Department of Defense, the New Jersey Department of Corrections, uh, Honda, Intuit. Um, in fact, the city utilities, um, when they implemented their current system that runs the entire enterprise, that was my team that, that helped them out with that. So I have the uh, expertise to actually do something. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I, I think if you're looking for somebody who knows how to solve the problems and isn't, um, isn't part of the problem, then I think I'm the best choice. Good, good. Real quick, I want to touch on your your pledge to serve one term and, sure. and, and not run again, because I'm always kind of intrigued by that, having mm -hmm. been involved in politics, working with candidates and everything. And I, I'm a huge believer in term limits. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to see term limits at the national level. I would love to see that. The the flip side of that argument is institutional knowledge. Sure, absolutely. So if you got elected mayor and after four years, you, you'd probably have learned a ton. Yeah. And over your second term could probably actually do even more good and then be term limited. Wouldn't that be worth it to have a second term where you could actually put to use a lot of that stuff you learned in the first four years? When I say that, a lot of people say that sort of thing, or they say, you know, hey, once we get somebody good in office, we should keep a hold of them. Um, and there's a couple of arguments to the contrary of that. And so, you know, again, I am, uh, I, I don't want to put myself on a, on a pedestal here. You know, power is seductive. And um, I've had some conversations with some of the other candidates, and uh, one that you spoke with yesterday, uh, I, I, I talked to him, I said, you know, hey, why are you... Um, you know, why don't you stand up for some of the things that I know you believe in? And he said, well, you know, you got you to gotta play the game and you got to make compromises. And um, if you want to get power to do the things that are important. And I just, I don't believe that. I believe that you use the power that you've got. You, again, I, I, I'm in the situation where yep. I am. So I have some resources that not everybody has. So I plan on using those for the good of the city where I am. And if that leads to something else and different, that's great. But uh, trying to build my way up is not the is not the answer there. And um, again, there's other candidates who are in the race who've been in, in politics for a long time. And if you look at uh, their effectiveness, it doesn't go up as longer they're in office. It, uh, they get a little more and a little more compromising all the time. And that's the problem, right, is, is when you're seeking power, um, then you're willing to make compromises. You're willing to do things that you know are wrong in order to get that power, and it's never enough. I, I talk to people in office all the time, and they're like, oh, but if we just had a little more power, then I could actually make change. And I just think that the, it's much better to do what you can where you are and, uh, and, and instead of trying to compromise to get somewhere else. Throughout your career, what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Well, um, so... One of the things that I did is I, um, uh, I think I was talking to you is is I'm a Colorado Springs native and I've spent probably 40 of the 50 years of my planet of my time on this planet in town, but I have been in a few different places um, from time to time. So I spent three years in West Virginia uh, working for uh, a government contractor managing some uh, intelligence that was gathered in Iraq and Afghanistan, among other things, um, and. Uh, 
so we had a product that had this was not top secret product it was but it did have sensitive information it had like um uh, hospital information health information and that's covered by hipaa mm -hmm. and um we had a uh we had a security flaw that was in this product and um again tried to tried to escalate that up through the proper channels and it uh well, I was getting nowhere so the president of the company came in for a little rah-rah speech and uh, I cornered him, kind of like I cornered John, and uh, said, hey, you know, we've got this problem. And he said to me, he said, look, son, uh, we're going to go look at that right now. And if it's not exactly what you say, you're fired. And so we went and we had a little demo, and uh, it was what I said and uh, became the number one priority of the company, um, which didn't obviously ingratiate me to my boss. Um, but I'm proud to have been able to do that. Um, you know, yeah. it was... Uh, again, they spent a lot of time on my knees because that's a that's a stressful situation to to know that you're, you know, potentially causing some problems, but to know that there's the right thing to do. Yeah, so. you're a business owner, and in your other parts of your career, you've had leadership positions. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your leadership style, or how would you like your leadership style to yeah. be if you get elected mayor? Well, so um, I've said for a long time that there's really not a whole lot of difference between a manager and a secretary. A, a good manager's job is to empower their workforce, right? It, and so, you know, secretary, what do they do? They go and, and uh, they gather the resources necessary and they, they deal with the communication so that the, that the boots on the ground can get done what they need to get done. And a manager basically does the same thing. And so I think there's a little bit more vision casting for a manager. So I, I, I will acknowledge that there's that. So I, I do have, a, um, I think that setting a, a tone for the for the city, and then um, making sure that the people who do the work have the resources that they need, because there's nothing worse than being tasked with a job, and then not being given the resources necessary to accomplish that. So again, one of the things that I'm sure we'll get into is public safety, um, and you know, I, like I've said before, is we are uniquely situated as a city. Um, we've got some huge military bases, a lot of people who have done policing uh, in their past or people who, you know, they just are interested in that sort of thing. So they've gone through post peace officers uh, standardized training. Uh, and so we could fill the ranks of our police officers tomorrow if we could convince them that it was a job worth having. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're aware in December there was a firefighter who was involved in an incident where someone died and uh, city council decided to throw him under the bus and, and not support him in his, in his legal defense. And, you know, if somebody in police or firefighters, if they're convicted in, the, in a court of law, then they're a criminal and they should be treated as a criminal. But we have as a foundational doctrine of our country that you're innocent until proven guilty. And if we're asking people to go into situations that involve risk, then we deserve, they deserve our backing up until that point. So as long as they're considered innocent under the law, they should have the full support of the political leadership. And, they, and we just don't do that. And that, that's really disheartening to me. Okay. Well, that's a good segue into my next question. What are your three top issues that you would want to focus on if you're elected? So um, I've often said I'm a small government conservative. And um, you can disagree with me at the federal, state, or county level, but uh, simple fact of the matter is, is that city government is completely unnecessary, right? Uh, Black Forest might not be your cup of tea, but it's not an uninhabitable wasteland. So uh, there's, but there are a couple things that are just economies of scale, and so it is more efficient to do together when we live close to each other. 
And so those three things are public safety, public works, and public parks. And that's it. There's nothing else that the city should be doing. And so unfortunately, again, uh, we've got some egos involved and uh, some uh, Denver envy, I think, that uh, that certain people in positions of power want to uh, see us become like uh, like Denver or California. And so we get involved in projects that really we shouldn't be involved in. And we take our ball eye off of the ball of the, of the real things that we should be doing. And it's really those three things are the only things that, that the city should be doing. So top three are the only three. Well, interesting. So the only issue on the ballot this mm-hmm. year is the extension of the Trails Open Space and Parks Absolutely. tax. Do you support that? I do. Yeah. I mean, like I said, parks is one of the three things that we should be doing. We live in Colorado for a reason. We were just talking that you uh, you came from Kansas and you used to vacation out here and mm-hmm. you said, wait, I could live there. And so yeah. we live here for a reason, right? We are the most outdoorsy state in the country. And so um, supporting that is a huge thing uh for our community, it's a it's a big benefit. Uh, obviously, I can't afford to. I, I said, you know, everything that the city does, you can do on your own. But uh, I can't afford to own uh, half a Cheyenne Mountain, right? Uh, so, so to to do that together, that makes a lot of sense. And so I support it absolutely. But I also think that the citizens have the right to vote on the level of support for it. So I'm a big proponent of Tabor, and I am offended when politicians try to detabor or get around Tabor by mislabeling things as fees. So. Uh, yes, I would recommend that people vote for the tops tax, but uh, I would certainly I, I, I'm glad that it's being presented to the voters in a straightforward manner so they can make that decision for themselves. Okay. An add on to that, the tops tax doesn't provide enough money and it has specific uses. Sure. So a huge part of the parks budget comes from the city's general fund. Yes. Back in 2008, before the Great Recession, Parks was about 8.4% of the city's budget. Today, it's 5.9%. Yeah. And they had a recent study done a couple of years ago that there's about a $270 million backlog in parks, just necessary parks maintenance things that need to be done. So would you support trying to get, I realize council does the first draft of the budget and there's negotiations and everything and talks. But would you support trying to get the percentage of the budget for parks back up closer to where it used to be? Yes. Yeah, I, absolutely. So um, I, uh, that's a lot of what I'm saying here is yeah. that, um, you know, you go to you go up north to the new developments, you know, Flying Horse or Cordera. And, you know, their parks are lovely because they're brand new. Uh, but uh, you go anywhere else in town and it's weeds and uh, no bathrooms and no trash service and graffiti. And I would never want to take my child to those parks. And so, um, again, if you can't provide basic services that that you promised to the citizens, then what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, And like you said, the 2008, 2010 timeframe, you know, it, it offends me, for those of us who have been around for long enough to remember that time, that, uh, you know, the, the city, yes, there was a financial crisis, urgent co- times call for urgent measures, but when the city went around unscrewing the light bulbs and the street lights to punish the voters for not increasing tax rates, um, you know, that's just, that's just wrong. And when you turn off the water and you say, oh, look, we're now being more fiscally responsible and more environmentally friendly because the grass is all dead and, and your kids get to play in the, in the weeds, uh, you know, self-congratulation for mismanagement is, is misplaced. So recently, the Colorado Springs City Council 
passed a new rule. Um, I call it a water rule. And it, it will require the city Colorado Springs utilities to have 128% of the water necessary to serve existing city demand and the projected demand from any new properties that want to be annexed into the city. How do you feel about that rule? Do you support it? Do you oppose it? So that's a, that's a very interesting thing, that, that, uh, that rule. So um, those, of, those who are actively engaged in the city will know the actual story behind that rule and what, why that decision was made and, and for whom that decision was made. And it wasn't the citizens of uh, Colorado Springs that that decision was made. So um, this is the thing that really bothers me most about politics, right, is the, um, the lying. So the pretext that this is somehow to save water for the for the citizens or or whatever is just a lie. So um, the true story behind that is there is a developer in town, a large developer in town, who bought uh, several square miles of land down in Fountain, and they went to the Fountain City Council and said, "Hey, we'd like you to be an- we'd like to be annexed." And they said, "We don't have the water, and if we annexed you, you'd have to pay for." fixing all of our roads. And so they said, okay, well, we'll go talk to Colorado Springs. Well, Colorado Springs says, you know, you're five miles away from the closest point of, of the rest of the town. It's a 45-minute drive from the nearest police substation out there, and it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to run utilities out there. Um, so there's wrangling back and forth. But um, there was uh, certainly uh, some appetite to, to do that annexation because some of the members of city council are very pro-growth at any cost. and uh, But in order to do that, then that would take resources away from the undeveloped portion that has been annexed into the city, which is Banning Lewis Ranch. And so the largest developer in town uh, owns that. And uh, so the whole water uh, the whole water ordinance is just to try to, uh, is just two developers fighting against each other and trying to trying to use the resources of the city to, to compete uh, where in, instead of on economic grounds, instead of in the free market through political favors. And so that's what kind of disgusts me. The, the two big Republican names that are in the race are then puppets from those two developers. So um, I won't name names, but uh, you can research <laughs> that. Uh, and and that, that whole thing just disgusts me. So the, the fact is, is that that Ordinance is passed now, but that ordinance will get changed in a heartbeat when somebody's financial interests uh, diverge from that. So, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and that's the thing with zoning, right? 90% of what city council spends its time on is, oh, can we change this zoning? And then they get down in the weeds about, oh, well, should the developer plant elms or aspens? Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous um, that that city council is involved in the landscaping decisions of people who own their own property. And, um, you know, the homeowners who bought their, their houses based on a promise that it was going to be a single uh, residential or single family residential neighborhood, then um, those, those promises are not being kept. So that uh, 130 or 128% rule, it's, it's a promise that is not intended to be kept. It's just, uh, just political wrangling between developers. Well, I, and, and again, there's three going to be three, four seats on city council mm-hmm. changing over. So, I mean, that's almost half the council. So if this came back up and they either wanted to repeal it or look at changing the percentage or something like that, if you were mayor, you'd support revising it? Well, I think the, 
again, so it's pretextual, right? And so I don't have a problem with saying we should have some reserves because we should. Yeah. But um, the idea that this is a that this is a promise to future generations that we're going to make sure that we have the water there when we need it, it's it's a lie. And so that's so. Yes or no? It's not. It's not a matter of trying to solve the problems of the city. It's a matter of trying to feather the nest of your donors. Okay. The uh, this past November, uh, voters in Colorado Springs voted down authorizing recreational marijuana in the community. Yes, absolutely. Um, did you support that or oppose that issue? I opposed the issue. So, I supported legalizing marijuana. Uh, what was that? Twenty ten uh, when we did that. Because I'm a libertarian at heart, I don't want you telling me what to do, and I don't want to tell you what to do. So, uh, and you know, I, as an old school Republican, I, uh, I, uh, I kind of subscribed to Bill Buckley's idea back in the '80s that it was a that the war on drug was fairly, um, well, it was ineffective. You can't yeah. make people do what they won't do, and uh, again, the the idea of making a law but not intending to enforce it bothers me. And the unequal enforcement of that, of the war on drug was obvious. You know, I don't agree with a lot of uh, democratic talking points, but yeah, when college kids are smoking weed and there's no repercussions, but uh, black kids are, are going to jail, there's, that's on, it's not equal justice. And that's a huge point. That's a huge thing to me. But that having been said, the, the sales job was that, um, if we legalize it and we tax it and we regulate it, then everything will be great and we'll have tons of money and there will be no black market. And that obviously isn't the way that things have happened. So um, legalizing recreational sales within the city limits, I think, would have led to increasing crime, which is the biggest f- issue facing the city short term. Um, the tax revenues haven't shown up to the degree that uh, that they were projected. And um, the black market is bigger now than it was under the uh, – under the old regime, so it uh, so a lot of the promises that have been made, um, again, were uh, were not. Yeah, those, those promises okay. didn't come to truth. One of the ways I look at it, though, is in doing a little bit of research on it, is about twenty percent of all residents in Colorado use marijuana, mm-hmm. and those numbers haven't changed a whole lot since it became authorized. Maybe ticked up a little bit. I think actually it spiked a little bit during COVID and it's come down again. So there's places to buy it close to here and everything. Sure. Manitou's not that far away. More than likely, anybody in Colorado Springs who wants to use marijuana is already doing it. Absolutely. If there's negative repercussions from that that Mm -hmm. are affecting the city's budget, wouldn't it be better to get the tax revenue to help offset some of those negative issues if it's not going to increase the usage, really? So no, I, I hear what you're saying, and that is the argument, right? But again, I think that um, no, it's not hard to go to Manitou and uh, and use. Um, but there's a difference between going out purposely to find something and just walking down the street and getting it. And there's a difference between um, having a recreational marijuana shop in your neighborhood and having one that's a little further away. Okay. We talked about public safety a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. and one area that oftentimes you can look at it in outside of public safety, or it's probably a part of public safety, is the homeless issue. Absolutely. In Colorado Springs. 
probably, you know, again, the numbers have been ticking back up uh, when they do the point in time count each year. So what thoughts do you have on ways that the city might be able to better help deal with that issue, support homeless persons, help them, you know, find housing, affordable housing? I mean, affordable housing comes into this issue as well. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on that issue? So um, homelessness in Colorado Springs is not a supply issue, as I'm sure you know. Uh, there are beds available for every single person who's on the street. No one has, no one is sleeping on the street because they have to. That's, it is a matter of choice. And um, generally speaking, that has to do with drug abuse, again, like we were saying, or, and or mental health issues. Um, and so uh, I've got a friend who has an adopted child who has chosen to be on the street and um, you know he owns a business he has offered to employ him to give him money um, but there's just sometimes there's nothing you can do to to encourage people to take the the hand that's offered to them um, when that becomes a matter of law breaking then it has to be dealt with as as law breaking so we have an ordinance against camping in the city limits and that should be enforced and we have an ordinance against littering and that should be enforced and we have an ordinance against occupying the medians of uh, traffic and that should be enforced and we have a uh, and we have laws against public intoxication and those should be enforced so again sometimes a little tough love is necessary and um, sometimes the 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 best intentions can can cause people to have worse outcomes. So um, compassion, absolutely, but um, you're not a special class of persons just because you choose to to be there. It does have to do, an issue to do with uh, affordability as well, and there and so some people may end up on the street um, because of uh, a financial crisis and then stay on the street because of uh, drug addiction, and so that's that's the key issue. Uh, for me is is try to prevent people from getting down uh, down on their luck and then ending up in a downward spiral but those people who are in uh, in a poor choice situation um, should be encouraged to make better choices let's talk a little bit about the affordable housing issue sure in Colorado Springs um, again I mean I've lived here for 31 years affordable housing has been discussed in town for 31 years yeah I mean it's it's an issue all over the country. It's talked about frequently. Um, what are your thoughts on how to possibly help deal with that? Or, or uh, again, can the mayor's office help yeah, deal absolutely. with that? What the mayor's you... office can absolutely deal with that and to an extent, right? Um, so it's a big issue to me. Uh, I have six children. And they're becoming adults. My oldest is 21. Next one, the uh, second will be 19 in a couple of weeks, and we go down from there. So they're, <laughs> as, like I said, they're they're becoming adults. They're looking at uh, moving out and uh, becoming independent. And there's something seriously imbalanced when the uh, average house price is a half a million dollars, but the average wage is somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to sixty thousand um, dollars. You know the old. The old saw is that uh, you can afford a house about three times your annual income, so that means that the average house price should be somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 180 thousand in order to be sustainable. When we're you know three times that, it's just not possible to. It causes big societal problems, and you know people who have a house, oh, it's great, my house is worth a ton, uh, isn't that great? Well, yeah, okay, but uh, you know. 
Do you like having your lawn mowed? Do you like being able to go out for a coffee? Do you like being able to go to stores? Um, I don't want to be one of the ski towns where they, um, the houses are all for millionaires out of state. That th Those are the only people who can afford to live there. And anybody who uh, is in a service industry has to get bussed in. Um, so that's a real big issue. Um, but one of the things that's... So you ask, well, what can the mayor do about that? So there's, like we were saying offline, there's uh, the law of supply and demand is just, uh, that's an iron fact. So no matter how much you might like it or not like it, that's going to be the way it is. So there's only two ways to, to reduce the price of something, and that is through reducing demand or increasing supply. Um, reducing demand means uh, we make the city a less pleasant place to live. And uh, those mayor mayoral candidates who... Uh, don't back our uh, public safety officers are, are working towards that goal. I think that's a bad choice. <laughs> but, uh, but in terms of increasing supply, um, there are ways to do it. And um, unfortunately, the current economic reality, I talk to developers. Um, you know, Again, I'm a commercial landowner. I've yeah. seen some of these things in my own life um, where my business, I tried to expand. Um, and I went down to regional building, and I said, hey, I'd like to expand. And um, some of the demands that they had were just absolutely outrageous. And it's just, oh, well, I think it would look prettier if you put a concrete block wall around this thing for another $3 million. And it's just outrageous, right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And yeah, okay, I'd like it to look nice too, but I do have to make a profit. And, and that's where a lot of the developers are. Um, the idea that we can just cost shift to the rich guys and they'll just eat it, that's not how it happens. So uh, when we add additional regulations and burdens on the, um, on the developers and, oh, well, you have to gold plate everything, well, they're not going to build affordable housing. They're going to build half-million-dollar houses, million-dollar houses, because that's where they can make money on it. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is when I was a consultant, the National Fire Protection Agency, the, the organization that, that promulgates the IEC, the International Electrical Code, so part of our building code, um, they were one of our clients. And um, kind of one of the perverse incentives of the nonprofit world is you're always begging for money. And the, the big source of revenue for the NFPA is selling the code. So if you're an electrician, you have to buy the, you have to buy the book from mm -hmm. the NFPA in order to follow the rules and, and be able to, to apply your trade. And um, so once you have a code, then you don't need to buy a new one unless they revise it. So there's, uh, there's always an incentive to revise the code and, and add things and just make things more complicated where they don't really need to be. And a perfect example is arc fault uh, protection circuits. So, um, you know, are they better? Yes, but they're 10 times the cost of regular circuit breakers. And to what end? Um, the, the number of fires that they would prevent are minuscule. And so to take somebody and to price them out of housing because you want to uh, you want to regulate something to the ground, it just doesn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, the mayor has a lot of control over some of that um, overregulation, some of that uh, ridiculous, again, Elms or Aspens is not the question that the city council should be deciding. We should have a standard uh, code, do this, and you're good. And don't do it, and we're going to have a, an issue. But, uh, but then that saves a lot of money and saves tons of uh, development costs, and that can be passed on to the, to the home buyer. And then 
One of the things that uh, when I was out east um, on the East Coast is they have um, they've separated development rights from the ownership of the surface rights, right? So just like we have here, you don't own the mineral rights to your house. If you strike oil, that belongs to CF&I, not you. So um, you know, when I was out in New Jersey, uh, there's little tiny farms that make no economic sense, but they add to the, the character of the neighborhood. You don't want to just be industrial and, and apartment complexes everywhere. And so um, they'll buy the development rights from these farmers, and then the farmer gets the economic value of the development, but still gets to maintain you know, a, a semi-rural uh, character to the, to the area. And we can do that too. Again, zoning is a promise that's uh, meant to be broken. I'm old enough to remember when opposition to zoning laws was a conservative talking point. Uh, now it seems like only liberals talk about uh, their opposition to zoning. But uh, I, I believe that zoning is, an, uh, un, uh, is uh, it's a taking. It, it, it's an uncompensated taking. Um, but you know, once you've bought a, a house in a neighborhood that is supposed to be a certain character, then uh, to have that taken away from you is also an uncompensated taking. So what I'd see, uh, one of the ways that, the, that we as a city could solve that problem would be to um, get rid of zoning as, a, uh, as an uncapped promise, but do development rights that are held in trust by the neighborhood. So that way, every neighborhood could um, benefit economically from the development of their neighborhood if they chose to do that. And if they chose not to, then it would reside with the neighbors and not with city council. Uh, and uh, money dangled in front of them. So, um, but that's, uh, again, that's, that happened in my neighborhood. My neighborhood was originally um, platted in 1961, and uh, it was um, semi-rural at that time. Now yeah. it's a lot closer to the center of town, uh, and there was a, a shopping center development that wanted to go through there, and that was, um, and, and the neighborhood then came to a decision on allowing that to happen, and, and there was financial compensation involved, and that makes a lot more sense to me than, um, you know, trying to argue in front of the city council and, and just hope that they that they listen to you yeah. as opposed to the developers. We've covered a lot of issues. Is there anything that you would that we didn't talk about or touch on that you'd like to mention so voters can maybe know your thoughts on it? Well, I, you know, we did talk about public safety quite a bit. Um, but, again, I think it's important to recognize walking the walk and talking the talk. And so, you know, again, there's a few people who are on uh, on the ballot who voted to uh, throw that firefighter under the bus. Um, and I went on a ride-along with the police. Uh, uh, try to, you know, I, I try to be well-informed. I try to read a lot. But I also, there's a, there's a difference between... Um, talking to people and, and actually seeing what's going on. Yeah. And uh, when I went, the, the officers were just kind of amazed that anybody ever did it because they said nobody else, nobody else even asked to, to go on a ride along. Mm -hmm. And uh, that just, that surprised and um, offended me. So <laughs> I've done it. It's an experience. It is an experience. Everyone should do it. If you're listening uh, and you're a resident of Colorado Springs, it's available to the public. Um, a few years ago, I went through the Police Citizens Academy um, that's a, actually a competitive process, so you, uh, if you, uh, that's something that really gives you a good idea of all the different things that the city does, but uh, you don't have to go through that to get a ride along. You just have to ask, and uh, you can see what the cops are doing on the ground and, uh, and what their life looks like. 
Um, but that's also part of what I want to do is I want to encourage people to get involved. So um, we can all make a difference and we don't have to say, well, that's the cop's job or that's the politician's job. We, uh, we all live here and we need to contribute to the quality of life. Good. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you being here today. Is there anything um, coming up in the campaign, any events or appearances or anything like that that you might want to let voters know about? Or, I mean, I know your your website, andrewdalby.com, they can find out more information there. Absolutely. Um, I noticed it's on, under the blog section is where you kind of go into a lot of detail about a whole variety of issues and yes. questions that have come up. So, um, I know that's there, but is there anything else coming up in the campaign that you want to mention? So one of the things that I'm going to post here shortly is the number of forums. Uh, we talked a little bit off offline here. Is uh, someone asked me, are there any forums coming up? And I said, yeah, there's almost as many forums as there are candidates. So um, I'm going to post a schedule of those so that uh, if you want to come see us in person and, and hear what we say, maybe even ask a question, the, those are available. Um, but yes, andrewdalby.com, also Dalby, the number four mayor.com. Then if you want to read the blog, that'll give you kind of some of my uh, position papers as well as some of the questions that, that citizens have asked and, and my position on there. So maybe something that you haven't asked, but someone else has. Good. Well, I think that's a good resource. Again, when you're a political newcomer, to learn about your, your thoughts and ideas and everything, the website's going to be a great place to go. And I really do. I, I really appreciate you being here today. This has been fun. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com. Avant